morning. My name is Peyton. I'm the lead pastor here. I can tell those of you who are churchy because you're like, should I clap? This is talking about sex and church. I don't know. Is this cool? So, uh, hey, I'm glad you're here. My name is Peyton, the lead pastor. If I've not met you, so glad that you're here with us this morning. Just want you to say, or I want to say to you that, um, man, we are just normal people here. Who, who love Jesus, and we are so excited about what God's doing in our young church. And so if you're a guest here, first time, I just want to say this to you. Um, we don't judge people for where you've been or what you're doing or where you're going or what you believe or any kind of preconceived notions you have about church. And I would just say on the flip side of that, don't judge us for how we do church, and we won't judge you for being judgy. Deal? Cool. All right, so hey, uh, man, we are just so excited to be in this series. We're actually in part three of a series called Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll. And I think what's interesting about this is that um, our culture talks a lot about these things, but church never does. But the Bible addresses these topics so much and so often that it only makes sense that we would do that. And so I want to say this to you, that if you're churchy, if you're like very religious and traditional, you're going to be offended probably. Um, You should have heard the first two messages, which by the way, you can actually go to our website, citylotsac.org. And check out our podcast there. You can listen to every message in the series and um, kind of just catch up to date with us. But basically what we've been talking about in this series, Six Drugs, Rock and Rolls, we've laid this foundation that God sets boundaries to basically protect us, not to hurt us. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is as we talk about sex and drugs and rock and roll and all these cultural things that are really penetrating Christianity and in our worldview, they now are the framework for how we see society and life. Um, we really see that God sets these boundaries when it comes to sex outside of marriage, sex in marriage, when it comes to drinking and drugs and pornography and just all these crazy things that God sets these boundaries to protect us. It's not to hurt us. Now, there's this misconception when it comes to Christianity that we're like the most uptight and boring people. And I want to be truthful. Some of you are very uptight and boring, okay? But that's not what God intended our lives to be. Um, so we're just addressing these topics that are, let me say this, they're very real world. You talk about them outside of church, so why would you not talk about them in church? We're letting the lens of Scripture uh, determine and dictate our view for these things. We're just looking at God's Word, and that is our worldview for how we answer them. We're not going to let society form our opinions for us, though it's done it. Um, we're just really talking about um, some very strong biblical truths. If you've never read the Bible, you should know this, that there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. And some of it has to deal with sex. And so last week we talked about how sex outside of marriage rips our heart apart. You can go back and listen to that. And this morning we're talking about the best sex ever. Hallelujah. I mean, if you're married, come on, give me an amen. Don't leave me hanging up here, all right? We're talking about the best sex ever. And really what I want you to know this morning is we kind of, you received a handout. And I just always encourage people to take notes. I mean, I'm the pastor and speaking, and I take notes as well, okay? So I just encourage you to do that. You don't have to. It doesn't make you more or less spiritual, uh, if you do or don't, but just want to encourage you to do that. So as we dive into part three of this series, what I want you to know this morning before we even get going is really the boundary that we're looking at is this. Inside, inside of God's boundaries, God created sex. It's designed to satisfy and protect us. Now, it doesn't take a genius to know that God, well, let me say this. It doesn't take a genius to know that sex can be pleasurable and satisfying, but also what I want you to see this morning is that inside of God's boundaries, sex is also designed to protect us. And I think a good logical and a good diagnostic question is, well, what could it protect us from? We're going to see this morning. That's why we've gathered to really just look at God's Word and kind of answer this question for us. Um, If we don't determine what God says about these things, then what happens? Culture does it for us. I think this is very real. 
Some of you in here, you probably love Jesus. Some of you are in here, you're not sure if you love Jesus, but maybe you're seeking spiritual things. And there's, so there's two types of people in here. There are those who say they know Jesus, they love him, and there are those people in, that are in here that you're just not really sure, and, and I want you to know that's okay. There's no prerequisite to be a part of this church. You just come. But both sides of, of us in here probably have preconceived notions about what the Bible says about sex and sex in marriage and outside of marriage. And the reality of this is, is that many of you can't even really explain why you believe that, but culture has taught you that, right? You're like, well, the Bible says, and like, you, I mean, you don't even know what the Bible says. You just heard that, Right? And, I mean, you'll get, listen, you'll get ticked off and fight somebody about it, but yet you can't find it. And so we have all these preconceived notions, and that's what we're doing is we're just destroying those. We're just taking the barriers down. We're taking the cultural Christianity away. If you're in here this morning, you're not really a Christ follower, but you're seeking spiritual things, and somebody was like, hey, if you come to church with me, I'll take you to Cracker Barrel. That's good. We're so glad that you're here. But what we're doing is we're just preaching the truth here. What I want you to know about City Lights Church is this, is that we are just a very real group of authentic people. And what I mean by that is, is we're not going to cover things up here. Certainly as I, as the pastor, the, if this is your first Sunday here, I, I want to encourage you to obviously come back, you know, next week and bring somebody with you. But I just, God has been so good to me. I did not grow up um, in church or, you know, believing biblical things. In fact, I was a hellion for many years. I've born and raised in this town, and there's a good possibility that if you're from this area, you passed me on Charles, Jeevers, or Charles C. Jeevers Boulevard raising Cain not too long ago. And so I say that to say this, that a lot of times there's this also preconceived notions and misconceptions about pastors. And I want you to know this, that God radically changed my life. Many years ago, and I am the pastor of this church, and for those of you who allow me, I'll be your pastor, and I'll do my best to lead you, but I'm normal, just like you, amen? I'm just a man of God who's seeking Jesus and wants to make him known. And this morning, we're going to make his, his standard for sex known. We're just going to dive in, so don't be tense and awkward and all that weirdness, because there's really no need for it. The truth is this, is that the lies that cult, culture present about sex, they're, they're ruining lives. They're ruining marriages. They are penetrating young teenage girls and boys' minds. And it's incredible the things that kids are doing these days at a very early age. It's appalling. And so we're just going to speak some biblical truth this morning. And I want you to know this, that sex is more than a pleasurable experience. Sex is more than a pleasurable experience. It's something that God intends to be sacred. Sacred. In Genesis 4.1, the NIV says it like this. It says, Adam made love to his wife. It's important that we understand this. Uh, I'm setting up the context for where we're going this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's where we're going to be. These are just some kind of supporting texts to kind of lay the foundation for where we're going. As we see that sex is more than just pleasurable, it's something sacred. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve. In reference to the first two people that were... I'm created in Genesis, Adam and Eve, husband and wife, which also, by the way, I don't want to offend anybody, but clearly, here, okay, clearly God sets the boundaries for sex between a man and a woman, okay? Now, behind that, there's a million other statements that could be said, as in, like, for those who struggle with homosexuality or, or, homosexuality or, or those tendencies, you could say hate sin, you know, 
not the sinner. What I know is this. God loves people. You should too. Okay? But in God's boundaries, it's created for man and a woman. So the NIV says he made love to his wife Eve. The ESV, which is the English Standard Version, which is a more like word for word, says it like this. Adam knew his wife Eve. Now, this word knew in the Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament is written in, is a word called yada. It's Y-A-D-A. And what it means is it brings forth this idea of like intimate knowledge, affection, emotions. It has this connotation of dedicating oneself to another so that you can engage them with your love and affection. So what we see here is that this was more than just sex that Adam had with Eve. It was his life that he gave to her. It was something that God intended inside the boundaries. This yada, this, it was more than just, hey, I'm giving you my body. I'm giving you everything. Does that make sense? Adam knew his wife. Now, clearly we see that this sets the, the standard for that sex has got to be sacred, not just pleasurable. If Adam knew his wife emotionally, emotionally and affectionately, then God is setting a boundary here that lets us know that there is a standard that sex is more than just pleasurable. There's some other things behind it. Now, to, to flip the script a little bit and to kind of show you what it's not supposed to be, I want to show you another text. In the Old Testament, there was a guy named King David. Maybe you've heard him. If you're not even really into church, you've heard of like the story of David and Goliath. That's the David I'm talking about. David is a king at this time, and he's up in his palace, and he's out wandering up top and, you know, doing whatever guys do. And as some of you know, the story goes, he sees this lady named Bathsheba who's bathing. And I want to just, it's so important that we understand context. See, Adam and Eve were married in God's boundaries, so it was right for them to have sex. David ran across this woman, Bathsheba, while he was lusting for her. And so this is what it says in 2 Samuel 11, verse 4. David's up on the palace, and it says, Then David sent messengers to get her, Bathsheba. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. So Adam knew his wife, but David slept with Bathsheba. So here's what's going on. Adam was in love emotionally with affections. He was dedicating his life to his wife. Really what this word slept means, a good kind of just um, layman's translation in our modern culture would be it was just a transaction. Honestly, just a transaction was all it was. Appreciate you. <laughs> going back. I'm going to go back in here, do my own thing. But that's not what God intends for it. That was really outside of his boundaries. And as many of you know, if you read the story, that would cost David severely. In fact, it would cost him his son. So, there was nothing sacred or holy about what David did. But what Adam and Eve did is going to set the precedence for our scripture reading today that God designed sex to satisfy and protect us, to satisfy and protect us. Now, a couple things I want to make clear before we dive into our story this morning. I want you to know this, that we are speaking in generalities this morning. We're speaking in, in general because this is what I know. Some of you could say this. When we talk about sex and marriage or you don't know my husband, you don't know my wife, you don't know my ex, you don't know my story, you don't know what I've been through. True, I don't. But I'm teaching God's word, which is more relevant 
and authoritative than anything you've been through, but to be considerate of those circumstances that are unique. We're speaking in general terms this morning. Um, something else that I want you to know that I'm aware of as we teach about this is that there could be those who you're, of you who are here this morning and those who will be listening to our podcast that you've been sexually abused or a victim of rape. And no doubt, those two things bring very unique and sensitive circumstances to relationship. So I'm aware that you're out there listening to this message. The third thing I want you to know is that if you're married, this message is intended to help you, not hurt you, okay? So if you go home or you pull out of the parking lot and you get in the, wife, or you get in the car with your wife or husband, and you're like, hey, you heard what the preacher said, didn't you? You've missed the point of the message, okay? You've missed the point of the message. So here we go. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you have a Bible, please open up. If you have one on your phone, go ahead and turn it on. Um, if you don't have one, no worries. We'll have it up on the screen for you. As Heather mentioned, we've got free Bibles out at our next tip stable. And once upon a time, I didn't have a Bible. Somebody gave me one. We'd love to give you your first Bible. So here's the context as we dive into our scripture. Um, there's a church called Corinth. That's where we get the letters 1 and 2 Corinthians. Before that, there's a man named Paul. Paul was someone who was a murderer of Christians. And he wasn't really a cross follower. He met Jesus one day. Jesus radically changed his life. And Paul became one of the greatest missionaries, one of the greatest agents, ambassadors of the gospel that we've ever known. Paul would go around to different cities and plant churches. Now, I want to just kind of teach you here for a minute. If you don't know that you're actually, this is a church plant. You're like, what does that mean? Basically, a group of people got together. We felt God was prompting us um, to start a new church. God gave me that desire in 2012. So we got together. We started praying we are right now, we are planting this church. We are putting roots down, and it is blossoming. That's the biblical term is you're at a church plant. You're like, how did this church get started? God had a dream that he put in my heart. It began to go through different people. Everybody that you see in an orange shirt is sold out to making this happen every Sunday. So you ought to say hi to them and thank them if you get an opportunity. But Paul was a church planter. He would go around to different towns and, and plant churches, and this is what would happen. Paul then would often leave to go start other churches. Well, what would happen is as, as these churches grew in their faith, Paul would then write letters back to them addressing certain topics to help them mature in their faith or to help them address, uh, you know, maybe things that they didn't understand or problems they were having. Surely, I mean, no church ever has problems or anything like that, so I don't know why that happened. But Paul would address these topics. And so what's going on specifically, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians is... Paul has wrote a letter to this church called Corinth. He's been addressing some things that he thinks are helpful for them. But when we get to the seventh chapter, it's very clear by this first verse that they had some questions for Paul. And so now he goes from just describing things that he wants them to know to now he's responding to their question. That kind of sets up where we're going here. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He begins to address their question. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. He says, now for the matters you wrote about. See, he's been writing them. Now he's going to address what they had to say. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And I want to make sure that it's very clear that we see that Paul is addressing them. They wrote this question because there are some questions about sex going on. And Paul wants to address them. Um, listen, it says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This had to have come from a woman because no man would say such a thing. 
No real man that I know anyway would say such a thing. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So here it is. We're fixing to to really dive into this and see Paul's going to answer this question. Before we do this, I want to just kind of teach you something for a moment. Hang with me there. Most of you probably know this, but the Bible was written thousands of years ago. This is all going to make sense. It's going to seem like we're going this way, but if I can, I'm going to bring us right back here and it'll make sense. And in the Bible, there are different types of literature. What I mean is there's like poems, like Psalms and Proverbs, stuff like that. There's literature. There's books of prophecy, like maybe you've heard of Isaiah, Jeremiah, books like that. There's all kinds of these different types of books in the Bible. And it's so important that as you study the Bible, you realize that God, through man, used them to address certain people at a certain time under certain circumstances. Does that make sense? Like, they were writing to a, a specific audience. Paul was writing to a church at Corinth. And they would write these scriptures, they would write what we call the Bible now to address people, to challenge them, rebuke them, and to teach them, and to explain things that were happening during a specific period of time. Now, what happens is this. When we read the Bible, our job is, this is good right here, our job is to discover the meaning, not to create it. See, when we create it is when legalism sets in. Those of you who have preconceived notions and you don't even know why, you've created biblical meaning. That's where legalism comes in. Our job is as we read the text, I know this is kind of deep and maybe unique for some of you the first time you're hearing it. When we read the Bible, our job is to discover what was the author saying to the original audience. Does that make sense? Two and a half people are like, yes. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Let's just get back to talking about sex again. So this is the deal. When we discover what it means, there's this thing called, when you study the Bible, called the interpretive journey. And that is this. You, you realize who's the author. It's certainly it's God, but he uses man. So like Paul is writing this letter. Who's the author? What is the context of the audience he's writing to? What's the culture like back then? Then when you discover the meaning, there's this thing called the historical or cultural gap. And that is, this is written 2,000 years ago, times have changed. Basically, is the way to say it. When you discover the meaning, you can then cross that cultural gap and say, okay, what does it mean to somebody who lives in 2015? Why that's important is this, because as you begin to study the Bible like that, you come across two things. Something that's called prescriptive truth or prescriptive text and descriptive truth or descriptive text. For example, if you're with me, say yes. All right, good. For example, uh, the book of Exodus talks a lot about the Israelites being held in captivity by the Egyptians and God rescuing them from Pharaoh. That's what we call a descriptive truth. It is describing something. Now, also in that same book of Exodus are the Ten Commandments. That's what we call a prescriptive truth. It is prescribing truths that we should live by. Does that make sense? Much like a prescription. A doctor gives you a prescription because this is going to help you. There are many descriptive truths in the Bible. For example, uh, Jonah getting swallowed by the big fish, it's a descriptive truth. God's not saying that you need to go jump in the ocean and try to get swallowed by a big fish. He's just describing what happened. What we're fixing to read here that Paul is addressing to the Corinthians is a prescriptive truth. He's saying, listen, if you're married, you should be doing this. I am prescribing this to you. Make sense? So this is kind of like, hey, you need to be doing what I'm fixing to say. So this woman, I think, asked Paul, hey, should we be having sex or not? 
And this is what Paul says in verse 2. He says, listen, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man, say these two words with me, should have. Okay, let's try this again. But since sexual immorality is occurring, say this with me, each man should have. My men, my married men, you should be like, I love this preacher. I love this preacher. Preach the truth, brother. Preach the truth. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, his own wife, not multiple partners, and each woman with her own husband. So it goes without saying, we know, right? I mean, sex is satisfying. It's, it's pleasurable. But Paul says to the church back then, because of sexual morality, it needs to be just with your own wife. You don't need to really abstain from it. In fact, you need to be doing it because of sexual morality. So what Paul would tell the church 2,000 years ago is very relevant to those of you who are here today at City Lights Church. Sexual morality is all around us. Sexual temptation, right? People are having affairs. They're feeling disconnected from a loved one, so they go get physically satisfied somewhere else. Paul says you should be doing this. You should have sexual relations. Verse 3. He says, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, so listen, Paul, what he's doing here is he's elevating. There's this also misunderstanding in the Bible, or rather modern day, that women should be like, you know, lower than men. That's not true. So what he does here by saying this is he's elevating women with men. Quality. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, the wife to her husband. Now, I do think it's very interesting that Paul mentions the husbands first here. And I believe it's this. There's this reoccurring theme that men are called to be the spiritual leaders in the home. That doesn't mean that they are the dominant ones. doesn't always mean that they make the most money. It's just the way that God's designed it. It doesn't make women any less equal. In fact, we see here through just studying this text that Paul's actually elevating women. But he's addressing this husband or husbands, saying, hey, listen, listen to what he says here, that you should fulfill, it's a, listen, it's a duty to fulfill your wife. Likewise, women. It's your responsibility because it protects your marriage from sexual immorality. We are called to fulfill this duty uh, so, I think of, like, when I was studying this, you, know, you just think of, like, the honeymoon phase. How many married people in here? The honeymoon phase is awesome, right? Yes. I don't know how yours went. But let me tell you why the honeymoon phase is so good. Because... So women will say this, a good marriage will lead to a good sex life. Right, women? Don't leave me hanging up here, good Lord. A a man will say, a good sex life leads to a good marriage. True? Don't leave me hanging up here, listen. It is true. A woman says, hey, a good marriage will lead to a good sex life. A man says a good sex life will lead to a good marriage. This is why the honeymoon phase is so good, because there's this incredible cycle going on. When they first get married, right? The woman is physically pleasing her husband. So he's like, hey, I'm going to be emotionally connected with her. 
I'm going to open up. I'm going to cuddle. I'm going to talk about our future. Right? And so the man says, hey, I'm getting satisfied. I'm going to be emotionally connected. The woman's being emotionally connected, so she's, there's just this great cycle going on. That's why it's like perfect for a little while, right? And then something happens. And sometimes it's kids, sometimes it's life, sometimes it's more debt, sometimes it's just different circumstances. And it doesn't always want to have to happen, but generally, after some time, things change a little bit, right? And what happens is this, is that you're not on that cycle anymore. We don't, we don't get on that cycle anymore. We don't have to be away from it, but it just, you know, you know I'm speaking truth here. Kids, job, life, stress, age, whatever. And so now there's no longer the cycle going on. And what happens is, in the context of just sex, then what happens is sex becomes a reward in marriage or a punishment. You going to be a jerk tonight? I've got a headache. You want to be a jerk tomorrow? I've got another headache. Though funny and true, listen, unbiblical. Not right. Outside of God's boundaries. What Paul is saying here is that in order to fulfill our marital duties to our spouses, we've got to learn to put their needs above our own even sexually, when you've worked all day and you're tired and you're stressed out because the kids are driving you crazy and you just want to take a hot bath and go to bed. We are called to fulfill our marital duties. Last week I made a statement, not last week, the week before that, I made a statement about how our sexuality is really a representative of Christ's love for us. And I think that's very weird, like, if you just, hey, how we have sex is kind of like how Jesus loves us. I know that's kind of weird, so let me explain that and unpack that a little bit. Here Paul is telling us that we must fulfill our marital duties. That is, we need to put their needs above our own, our own desires and wants and dreams. That doesn't mean that yours have to die, okay? But it just means that theirs should come first. Let me tell you what's the picture of the gospel. God looked down upon humanity, which is you and I. He saw how sinful we were. How we were hopeless and helpless and in need of a Savior. And putting our needs before his own, he gave his only son so that we could be reconciled. So really, our sexuality in marriage... Is very symbolic of God's love for us. You see, because sex is more than just a pleasurable experience. It's something holy. It's something to protect us inside of God's boundaries. Verse 4 says this. As Paul goes on, he says, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Now, at first, when you read this, you're like, is Paul talking about, like, 
some kind of slavery here, some kind of sex slavery, like she don't, I don't control my own body. No, and that's not what he's talking about at all. In fact, there again, studying Scripture and going a little bit deeper, that word body there, it literally means everything about you, your soul, your spirit, your emotions. So Paul's really saying, you don't even have control over your own life anymore. You're, you're giving it away, which is what you do when you get married, right? He says, likewise, it's the same for you husbands. You're to give your wife everything. And you're wrong if you don't. This is a word just to my men, because I am a man. God intends for us to joy our wives outside of the bedroom too. So this word body, it means so much more than physical self. It's literally everything about you. And Paul said you, you yield it to your wife and to your husband. And a great example is this, is when you're driving down the road and you come up to a yield sign, what do you do? You stop and you know if there's oncoming traffic, they have the right of way. That's what Paul's saying here. Husbands, your wife has the right of way. Wife, your husbands have the right of way. Husbands, your wives have the right of way. You yield to them. You yield to them. You put their needs before your own. To fulfill your marital duty. Your wants and needs, though important, should come second to your spouse. I can't count how many times I've heard this. People say, you know, and I think I know they mean good by it, but they're like, you know, it's 50-50. You got to get 50-50 in your marriage. Well, let me tell you what's going to happen after a week. You're going to have about a 50% marriage, right? It's everything. Paul is stating here, not only when it just comes to sex, but he's saying you've got to give everything to your wife, everything to your husband. Look at verse 5 as he goes on. Say these first three words with me, okay? Please say them with me. Here we go. Do not deprive. This is what I mean. You don't be getting in the car and going home and be like, you heard the pastor. <laughs> me and you. Don't deprive. Listen to what he says here. He says, do not deprive each other except, except perhaps, Paul. I love that. He's like, maybe. I mean, there's just this one little reason if you're going to. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Look, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I love that Paul says, except perhaps. There again, the context here is those who are able, those who are healthy. Certainly we know there are medical reasons why. Couples can't have sex at times. But Paul's saying, for those who are able, he says, do not deprive yourself. But he says, if you're going to, let it be by most mutual consent. And what that means is this. You both agree, right? It's not somebody hanging it over somebody else's head. It's by mutual consent. You talk about this. And we really see this is a spiritual reason, not a selfish reason. Paul makes it clear that there are spiritual reasons not to have sex. And what he says is to devote yourselves to prayer. Now, 
A better rendering of that could really be when Paul is saying, when you dedicate yourself to fasting. That is this time of seeking Jesus. I want to make sure that's clear because what will happen is somebody's going to leave here and say that, well, the pastor said we can not have sex if I'm in prayer, and some guy's going to call me and be like, hey, my wife has been in a prayer meeting for two weeks. I can't get her out of there. It's not what I'm talking about. Okay? It's about mutual consent. You both agree. Hey, let's take this time to really seek Jesus together, to get ourselves right. Paul tells us that we must come together again so that we won't be tempted by Satan. So clearly we see that sex is designed to satisfy, but it's also designed to protect us as well because of our lack of self-control. God designed sex to satisfy us protect us in the boundaries of marriage. Sex inside of God's boundaries is something to be sacred and holy, not taken lightly. It, taken lightly. It's not just a, a transaction that we have. It's, so much, it's really, this, I know this is weird, but it's a picture of God's love for us. It's a good thing. This is a prescriptive truth. God wants this for you, but in his boundaries, when you take it outside of God's boundaries, you rip your heart apart. You give your heart away. You're not fulfilled. You're only temporarily satisfied. Paul's saying this. If you are married, this is something you should be doing, hopefully, on a regular basis. Because this is good for you inside of God's boundaries. Now, I've got a couple of homework assignments for you. I've got some homework assignments for you. If you're married, you need to go home and do some homework. Okay? You go home and do some homework. Because it's good for you. It's designed for you. From marriage. It's a gift from God. Here's the second thing. Really, what we see this picture about is being selfless, putting others before ourselves, like God did for us when He gave us Jesus. And so maybe you need to go home and you just need to have a heart to heart with your spouse and be like, hey, what can I do to make my marriage better? Really, I, I want to give you all of me. I want to fulfill my marital duty, which is more than just subjecting myself to physical pleasure. It's giving me all to you. I want to give you my emotions, my affection. I want to expose myself and make me vulnerable. Here's the third thing. If you're single in here and you're like, what does all this mean for me? Wait. Wait. It also means this. A good diagnostic question that you can ask yourself is, Am I being the person 
that I'm looking for? Am I being the person that I'm looking for? Am I staying sexually pure? See, God designed sex to to satisfy and protect us, but we must also ultimately know that it's a picture of his love for us. It's a picture of the gospel. This morning, if you're married, you're single, you're divorced, you're dating again, whatever. Really what this is all about is Jesus wanting you to know that he loves you and he has designed these boundaries to protect you, not to hurt you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your boundaries, God, that they are designed to protect us and not to hurt us, God. We thank you, really, God, for the gift of sex inside of marriage. It's a beautiful thing that you've, you've given us, God. But it's to be kept sacred and not taken outside of those boundaries. God, there are those of us in here this morning who have great marriages. Things are really good. And we just praise you for that. And then, God, there are the others of us in here this morning and our marriages are struggling. And the truth is, God, a weekend getaway, doing our homework, is not going to make things better unless you show up. Jesus, now and this time, strengthen marriages, those who are single. God, prepare their hearts. God, start turning them and churning their heart to be right now the person they're looking for. God, help us to see that you have called us to live exciting, breathtaking, adventurous, bold lives. And that when we see these boundaries, God, it's only a picture of your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We do something here at City Lights that we call reflection time. And it's just simply that. We just want you to reflect upon the word of God that you've heard, the message, the music. If this is your first time here, we don't like, we're not going to make you come forward to do anything crazy. We're not going to make you go into a back room and do anything you don't want to do. We just want you to literally just take a few more minutes to reflect. There's a song that we've been doing here at City Lights that, that I love called Here's My Heart. Because this is really what this is about. It's about giving God our heart, being transformed. And I would say this, not to guilt you, rather to motivate you. Man, leave here today giving Jesus your heart. Committing to take a next step with him. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, maybe a next step is, hey, I think you're kind of crazy, so I'll come back next Sunday. For those of you who believe in Jesus, you've been coming Maybe the next step for you is, God, I'm going to give you my heart so that you can make it whole, so that when I give it to my spouse, I'm giving them something good. Whatever the need is this morning, let's sing this song as Matt leads us. Let's just worship a couple more moments and reflect upon what we've heard.